when the wind hits your back and you're like, oh, this is so easy, this is so great, this feels so good, even though it might not look like the way that you wanted it to look, that is also a sign that affirmation of the universe that you are headed in the right direction. Hi friends, you're listening to Art and Magic, a podcast where we connect all things practical, magical, and really real when it comes to walking the artist path. I'm your host, Devin Walls, painter, mentor, and dreamer. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm really excited to be able to share today's guest with you uh, because it is Maya Freelon. And this is somebody that I almost didn't reach out to because I didn't think she would say yes. And when she did, and so quickly, it all felt very synchronistic. And I felt even more that way um, after getting to have this lovely conversation with her. We covered a lot of really deep ground in this conversation, which I think you're going to appreciate. Um, Everything from examining the gallery system and um, the commissions that it takes and how artists might find their way without that, what Maya's experience has been, what she's thinking about in that department. And we get deep into her Art on Fire video that she recently created and published for Juneteenth after the murder of George Floyd. We talk a lot about her thought process for creating this video, what drove her to create it, um, and a lot of the points that she brings up in the video we got the chance to unpack and discuss further, which was um, my main reason for inviting her on the show, and this video was actually how I found her. So if you haven't watched it yet, I recommend finding your way over to Maya Freelon on Instagram or on her website so you can get a sense of what we're talking about. She also says some really beautiful things about um, how she believed in her art and and kept following her way with her medium of tissue paper, even though she was getting a lot of negative feedback in grad school. And she had some really killer advice and wise words for artists who might also be getting negative feedback and are wondering if they should continue on or switch directions. As you know, I love all my guests and all my interviews and I boast about everyone, um, But even while we were having this conversation, I was thinking like, this is a really powerful one. And there were a particular amount of wise nuggets that came through. So if you don't already know her, Maya Freelon is an award-winning visual artist who creates striking abstract sculptures and installations from tissue paper and water stains. She's been featured in Garden and Gun magazine, Cosmopolitan magazine called her one of the most badass female artists in the biz. Uh, Miami New Times selected her as one of five young artists to watch during Miami Art Week in 2019. And hold your breath. Uh, Her work has been described by the late poet Maya Angelou as visualizing the truth about the vulnerability and power of the human being. I think that kind of says it all right there. Her unique tissue paper art has been exhibited internationally, including shows in Paris, Jamaica, Madagascar, and Italy. So without further ado, I present to you my conversation with Maya Freelon. We're just going to go ahead and pick up 
where we left off right before this recording, which is you've been thinking a lot about um, like questioning the structures of the art world in this time of COVID. Uh, COVID has has pushed a lot of artists in a lot of ways either to fully embrace their gifts and kind of jump into it and say like, no matter what, I'm not going to give up on this or abandon it, unfortunately, and say, you know, it's too expensive. It's too hard. There's nobody selling. Um, but just like any other job market, we have to be ready for the ups and downs mm -hmm. of, um, of a market that flows on, you know, the economy and, and what's going on there. And although this was unanticipated, um, every artist should have a rainy day fund. Um, and some money saved up and and most artists full-time artists do just because um you could have a good year or or a, a you know a terrible year you have to make sure that it's spread out um so that it remains even it's not like a nine to five where you get a constant paycheck for most artists mm -hmm. um and what i've been questioning is the gallery model and the 50 percent commission and i'm trying to think of other occupations that take that much commission based on the work yeah and the only two i could think of is a uh maybe a pimp and a prostitute um or a um, sex worker yeah and a, a hitman or some, maybe it's even more for that somebody's yeah. like contract or maybe i've been watching too much netflix i don't know or maybe that's but entirely accurate i do know that <laughs> 50 percent is a lot think about houses that are sold for millions you get a tiny percentage of the the sale of the house you don't get half mm -hmm. and now the galleries are closed and they're yeah. not doing what they said they were going to do, you know, or they can't afford it. And I, I'm saying this from the experience of dealing with being represented by three different um, galleries. If you can't guarantee um, steady flow of uh, income, then you ha essentially have to break up <laughs> with your gallery and find somebody who grows with you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like um, the commission is just so out of whack and it was created a long time ago maybe when galleries were sending out postcards and were taking out ads in newspapers and were um uh holding the hand of the artist a lot more but we're dealing with a social generation that has a way to get their stuff out there they do not have to follow the same model and they they can represent themselves if they have the tools and understanding um and kind of stand their ground without us that's what i was trying to convey in the video if we decide we want to go on strike you don't have a museum you don't have nothing anything to put on the walls you don't have um our new ideas you don't have anything so we need to know that we could take back that power um and the only thing that a gallery can offer that a new artist can't get is that kind of co-signing that notoriety that like um but there are ways to get that without galleries there's grants you could apply for prestigious grants art residencies that's another way to save money you don't have a place to stay go get a residency for a year in italy or japan or wherever they pay for everything they pay for your food and all you do is produce work um there are ways you could get your show reviewed. You can deal with a nonprofit museum that isn't interested in selling your work to take it and then um, take half of the funds. There are so many other ways, and I I don't 
I think I had to be put in a position where everything was taken away to really question it because before I probably would be scared like, well, if I start rabble rousing around galleries, then I'll be blacklisted in our market mm. and not sell and they'll block me from their collectors and whatnot. And I had a long talk with a, a gallerist in, in Maryland that I work with. Um, and she basically said the mid-level, like there's the New York galleries and then there's the mid-level galleries and mid-level galleries would not be able to keep their doors open mm -hmm. without taking 50% commission because they actually are doing um, multiple, dealing with multiple artists and working really hard and the rent is going up and the so she had she argued her side and i argued my side and at the end of the day her galleries closed due to covid so there's not so your point is invalid in my opinion yeah yeah so how are you like taking all this in and and like reevaluating everything how do you see yourself moving forward are you um considering going more of a self-represented route or i'm just um i'm just curious about your own headspace because where i'm coming from is um i've been pretty outside of the gallery and institutional world and um i'm a beginner artist but sell my work on my own and so it's interesting for me to like hear this perspective as somebody who might aspire to be in a gallery um so yeah i'm just curious like with your experience where where your head would be at now and what like sounds appealing to you in it in a mode to move forward yeah i would say like um at first it's a codependent relationship i mean like if you were to say your relationship explain it to a therapist like your gallerist was your partner mm -hmm. it would sound crazy mm -hmm. i give them i make all the art i i get the child care i produce it i put the materials i come home and um, my partner takes half and they say they talk about me all the time and they used to you know go outside but now they only do it from the internet it's just and and they're also seeing other people but i'm not allowed to right mm. so i'm yeah. I, i'm in a um, um uh, open relationship with one one door is open and my door is closed they get really excited when they sell my work but also when they sell other people's work too um they're not giving me half or any percentage of the other stuff they're selling either you know the other people that they represent it's just like it's a mentality but i i was taught that this is the way that it goes mm. and um i think for a beginning artist whatever level that you're at if you if you start with a mentality that's a little bit more open you don't kind of get constrained into this one thought process but three years ago i decided that i wanted to regain control of all sales mm -hmm. um and I'm not saying that galleries don't offer certain connections and opportunities that you might not ever be able to get. I have received amazing opportunities through um, connections through galleries, but that, that's not the only way to make a connection, I feel. Mm -hmm. And you have um, like a beginning artist uh, has to start somewhere. And if, you, if your platform's online, there's only one way, way to get it. It's like the supply chain. Um, the, they want to come to the source, but how do collectors get to know you? You have to do a lot of self-promotion. You have to do a, be your own advocate. You have to mingle and socialize. You have to get your name out there. You have to get your artwork written about. You have to show your art. Um, and what's popping up a lot lately are art um, consultants that mm -hmm. take a much more modest fee, like anywhere between 10 and 20% um, for connecting you to those. 
But if you're talking about being at the top tier of gallerists, the New York galleries, the ones that are often sought for when you go to art school, they tell you that's like where you want to be. Those um, people's, the people who are collecting that work don't even care about the content. They're just waiting for the gallery owner to tell them what to buy that will mm. appreciate and value. Yeah, so there are different, it, it's investment. It's not yeah. um, based on like at all. Mm-hmm. So it depends on who you are as an artist and what you're willing to sacrifice, I suppose. Um, but after taking ownership, I realized that people will find you if they want you, um, that you don't have to say yes to every opportunity uh, for money, especially if um, it seems unfair in, in a way. Um, and you have, you have the power to create your own currency and your own value. And the only reason some of the most famous paintings that we consider to be masters became that way is because those people took their art everywhere, talked about it nonstop and hyped themselves up. Just like Mm -hmm. some rappers and you're like, how did you even get a deal? It has nothing to do with the content. It has to do with um, the person's uh, inner ability to make other people believe that it is special, important and different. Yeah. And you know, what's so interesting about that, that I've noticed is it's what seems to then happen is you get a lot of people who are like more of an egomaniac personality who are at the very top. And then, so mm-hmm. what's being represented are these personality types among other biases. And, and then that's a problem because that presents this picture of art that is so uh, skewed and inaccurate. And so I kind of want to bring this back to what you mentioned that, um, this is a lot of what you were pointing to in your art on fire video. Mm -hmm. And, um, for those who haven't seen it, if you're listening to this, you have to go watch it. (laughs) But for those who haven't had the chance to do that yet, will you just describe uh, a bit about it so people can get an idea? And then I would love to dive more into, uh, how you're drawing attention to this, this problem in the institutions with that video. Sure. So, um, after the murder of George Floyd and the civil unrest that kind of um, happened afterwards, uh, the anger and this isolation and this um, the the injustices of the world kind of coming to a forefront, not to Black people, but to everybody else. Um, you could literally feel the energy and the sadness and the pain of everybody, particularly um, impacted by this terrible, Breonna Taylor included, and everyone else who was killed just, that was fueled by racist intentions. And um, I could, I asked myself as an artist, what could I do, what could I, sacrifice, what could I share to bring more attention to it and to um, hopefully start to to call out folks that consider themselves allies and consider themselves um, supporters. Uh, What could I do? Because at the end of the day, art is an object. It's a thing. It's it's a luxury to be an artist. It's a privilege um, to have the time to sit down and create something. And then it's a privilege to then buy that thing. And so I thought about something that I had and what I could sacrifice um, just off the sake of it being 
dramatic and um, important, I decided to sacrifice some handmade original art in the name of justice and calling people out. Um, and when art projects or performances come together easily, I know that, that it's beyond my own hands. It's something bigger and more uh, on a vibration that I'm just the, the messenger. I'm not even in control of it. So when I asked the people who participated in it and I got all the yeses, then that was good. When the weather cooperated, that was good. When we lit the fire and it didn't cause any crazy um, issues, that was that just affirmed to me why that what I was doing was important and um, hopefully would touch at least somebody. And yeah. it touched you, so I'm glad oh, that yeah, it made absolutely. it to you. Yeah, it absolutely made it to me. And it was the main thing that I reposted that really landed with a lot of my friends and, and other artists. And um, yeah, the I think there are so many elements about it, like the power of the message in and of itself, the way it was communicated. And then also my thoughts went to, from an artist's perspective, how you use your art, which is beautiful and seemingly delicate and, and colorful and, and also abstract to um, bring attention to a, like this really important issue. Um, and so that's really fascinating to me, like how you're able to draw that connection. And I, I like what you said about what could, the question that came up for you is like, what could I sacrifice? Um, yeah, and I'm wondering like if there's anything more there in terms of your, uh, in terms of your process and being an abstract artist and like really having something to say? Yeah, I mean, I'm an abstract artist that was pressured to create black art in art school. Mm -hmm. uh, that as, a, as if black art wasn't, abstract art wasn't black art. Mm -hmm. I was pressured by white male professors to, the, and I was told that leave the tissue paper alone because it's too beautiful or it looks like hotel art or it looks, you know, whatever they had to say, it wasn't fitting the um, stereotypes that they considered to be black art. And um, that made me pursue it even further. Um, I think as an artist, we all have voices and I don't ever steer away from I, my identity as a black female artist, because I remember when I was young, I saw an artist who was working and living full time as an artist. And, uh, and when I saw her and I knew that she could make a living doing it, I knew that I could as well. So representation matters. Um, being seen matters. My blackness matters. And black lives matter. Black, when I um, did the hashtag black artists matter too, it's, um, it doesn't matter what you create, you are still creating from a certain vantage point and a certain set of circumstances. Um, I was thinking about, I honestly didn't want to encourage other people to go burn their art because of safety and because yeah. of, um, you know, of that this is just the way that I interpreted. So my call to action was just asking folks to see what they could do or who they could talk to. I just really wanted to spark a conversation. Mm. And the way that I did it, I had a controlled environment and, um, you know, a safety crew and um, 
but I also didn't want to shield my kids from it. And I felt like it was important because they know what's going on. They hear the conversations. They all are also have experienced racism, even at age nine, five, four, they see and understand that things aren't the same and fair for everybody. And so <clears throat> I wanted to make it a teachable moment too. That was, although I was super upset and frustrated, usually when I am, I, I turn that into art yeah. and, um, and to see something beautiful and, and something very fluid and, and water-like. I usually wasn't working with water. Working with fire was way obviously hotter. It was, um, the temperature was extreme. It went up very fast. Um, it's just kind of, I wanted to, um, I wanted to pay homage to every ancestor that was ever lynched and burned and murdered on a funeral pyre or I don't know what you would call that, but they they would go out and look, it would be a spectacle, like people would come out to lynching white people and watch a black body burn with children. Um, there's pictures of that uh, that I have seen and can never unsee. Um, there, the idea of fire is also, you can't come back from it, it's kind of a terminal, you know, <laughs> there's no putting it out and, and piecing it back together once something's fire damage it basically goes back to ashes mm -hmm. um and then seeing saying goodbye to something that is inanimate and is a um object is so much easier than a, a mother saying goodbye to her son and never getting that chance um or a black life and it's just interesting for me that people can, like one of the comments, I was gonna delete it, but I ended up leaving it because it just proves my point even more. Somebody wrote a comment on the video that said, at first I was appalled and upset because I love your art and this is a white woman. Mm -hmm. And then I realized what you're saying is it's yours. And no matter how I feel about it, um, I, I can't remember exactly what she said, but just to start off with, I was disgusted by what you were doing because it, I love your work. It wasn't be, she missed the yeah. whole point. The point yeah. is this doesn't matter. Lives matter. People yes. matter. Totally. You should not kill that. You, you should think so lowly of somebody that you're totally fine with them being murdered. Yeah. And we see that a lot happening in terms of, um, like property being valued over, yeah, yeah, over people yeah. in the protests and like, you know, art is a step above property in some sense, but still it's, it, this is like a totally um, skewed sick that people can't see that the lives and black lives are so like, that's what we're really talking about. Um, yes. And, yeah. and as a, um, well, if you're a white person or a person who is not a person of color, it's a lot of times shocking, like she said, mm -hmm. to witness, like shocking to see um, what people, what black lives really are like. Like the other day I was on a hike with my girlfriend and her cousin and we had a dog with us and the dog's very cute. And all the white people stopped to talk to the dog. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I don't have it. Let me see, you know, oh, yeah. so cute. I mean, they just are like so cordial and sweet. 
Now we've walked this hike many a times and yeah. don't ever get as much. Now I get it. It's cute. A dog is cute. Maybe it's a good conversation starter. But I feel like if we're if if someone were in jeopardy of getting pushed off the mountain, they would not pick us first. Mm. They would take the dog and say, I don't know what happened. I had to pick one. Mm. And this is a, a real a sad, sad reality. Um, but it's like they don't even no, unless you call them out. Yeah. And I felt like that my video, I wanted it to be, I wanted it to hit several different levels. Um, and um, yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, something else, um, so your video did hit many levels and I've actually watched it many times because the, the dialogue that you okay. you have over it, um, is so clear and so poignant. Like you really had a way of saying things right to the point because the video is short. Um, and so like, yeah. anyway, I, I had lots of thoughts about what the writing process might've been for that. But one of the things that, uh, that you said was you're using accessible materials um, to have it written down here. Now I can't find it or remember, but using accessible materials. Oh, here it is. <laughs> challenge racism in the like racist art world and I was wondering if you I found that um a really like a important point to be making and then also a really fascinating correlation about the accessible materials so I was wondering if you could elaborate more on that sure um I love talking about my grandmother and she was one a part of the uh, great black migration um actually during the depression the first depression um so a lot of black folks who were sharecropping in the south sent their children up to the north for better opportunities and jobs and my grandmother was one of those people um, her and her sister moved to cambridge massachusetts from valdosta georgia um, and she was born in 1928 so um, she worked her way through the school system became a school teacher she also owned her um a beauty salon and she was a a, a hoarder is what you would call it these days but she would call it a collector um but it, it changed when it gets higher than you your height it changes from collection to hoarding she had collected things amongst other things and as an artist in graduate school i lived with her um, and her treasure trove would just kind of dig in there and look around and try and find something that i wanted to work with as a mixed media artist before i found tissue paper like i did some artwork with her hot hot combs and, and did some artwork about hair and black hair at the same time i started working on this hurricane katrina was bearing down on the gulf coast and i thought about the literal water moving color to the margins marginalized what does it mean to be pushed to the edge concentrated color all of these things were making bridging a gap in my mind about why i needed to embrace this medium this medium that was probably left over from her teaching elementary school this craft material this low art when my um, graduate school professors are telling me to make high art and um, trying to figure out who I was as an artist. And I remembered um, on the, in the summers as a kid, I would go spend the summer with my grandmother and her sister. It taught me how to quilt. My grandmother was full of quotes and she said things like, you never, we came from a family of sharecroppers that never got their fair share or we know how to make something out of nothing. Um, 
like I said, she grew up during the depression, so they didn't waste food. She wouldn't let a grain of rice sit on her plate. Um, she would eat it all and not be kind of instill us as children to not be wasteful. And that's probably also why she had a lot of stuff and had a hard time getting rid of stuff. And so watching her, um, listening to her stories, quilt making with her sister and her, um, I learned those things when I was a child and, and coming back as a graduate student, spending time with her and thinking about materials and elevating materials, thinking about the white wall and um, how exclusive it, it can be to even make it the choice to be an artist and to go to school for art. I thought about her and her life and the sacrifices that she made. And I decided then to dedicate all my art to her and to honor her and, and elevate her to a place of honor and respect as opposed to you know, outsider art, craft art, naive art, all these words that they use for artisans that have been making it with the scraps from the jump. Now, when the quilts of G's Bin came out and they put them, you know, aired them out and put them on the gallery wall, now they're beautiful, inventive, creative geniuses. Before, it was only because we only had the last bit of stuff to make it. And so oftentimes think back to what it, what it would would have been like to only be able to create with the least amount of materials or the worst it's also acknowledging that whatever you place you determine your own value and that's something that my grandmother instilled in me don't let anybody else do it. if they don't want it somebody else will and um that idea that you can transform something seemingly insignificant into something so special all has to do with perspective. Um, mm. And so I love it when kids come to my art and they say, you know, I, I did that in school. I don't get offended by it. It's the same tissue paper. It's not something special. <laughs> it's not like, you know, a secret. It's bleeding tissue paper. In fact, I think the bleeding tissue paper costs less than the steadfast because it bleeds when it's wet. And um, I just feel like as a medium, if my grandmother had had the same opportunities as me, she would have been an artist. I, I definitely know that. And she kind of funneled that through her teaching and her um, hair creations in her beauty salon. Um, but I was, I'm really proud to kind of share that story of origin um, whenever I'm asked about it, because it's really significant in the, in the history of African-American art. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm so curious about the journey. It's like you're in art school and you're, and you're saying like, no, like I'm, I'm using these materials. I'm not going to make like quote unquote black art or um, like what they're calling that and um, create this high art. And like, I'm, I'm sticking to, to this. So what was that journey like, like graduating and after art school to the point where um, like, was that a process to get that accepted or did you, like, what was your journey with that? I'm, I'm just curious there. That's a good question. Um, honestly, I started at the museum school in Boston and I, um, there's a professor or an artist, her name is Mary Magdalene Campos-Pons and she's a black female based in Boston um, who was highlighted on the website, you know, as one of the professors. And that's why I chose that school. 
I didn't see any other black female professors in a location that I wanted to be in. Um, and my grandma was already there. So I was like, perfect. I get there. She's nowhere to be found. I actually get her email from somewhere. I can't remember. And I said, you know, you're on everything here. And like, I came to study with you. She said, they don't pay me enough or respect me enough to pay me enough to come back to that school. So you can let them know that. And the, the president at the time, her solution was to give me $5,000 to run my own, uh, what was it? It was like a, basically a panel discussion based on about race. And I think I call I think the title was the, uh, racing yourself. And um, I, I it, it paid for three artists to come talk um, and to, to offer that to uh, the community. Now, why I have to do the work, number one. Number two, I'm filling in the gap for a college professor's job mm-hmm. uh, and, and doing diversity inclusion. I'm, I'm, I'm also a full-time student. And, um, and why aren't you doing this on your own? And why don't you pay her enough? You should give that to her and triple it and, and, and offer her what she needs to, to make a living to keep your school diverse. And, and <laughs> so many reasons why that was wrong. Anyway, that's a long story to explain that I was angry during graduate school. I was super mad and I had professors telling me that this art wasn't gonna fly. I applied to a school, um, I mean, I applied to a, a prestigious residency called Skowhegan, um, and I only submitted tissue paper, and I said, if I don't get in, then I'll consider some other stuff, and lo and behold, the whole school is flabbergasted that I was selected along with one other person and the entire school to go to this residency, and the other person had applied a, a few times, and this was my first time. Um, And so I went and I only took tissue paper and I spent three months there, which is what I was saying earlier, to have resident, if you applied a certain residency, they cover everything. I got a scholarship and attended um, and there I met uh, Emma Amos, who became one of my mentors. She recently passed away. David Driscoll, one of my mentors, he recently passed away as well, but did a really good job of diversity and inclusion. Um, and I was happy to have that support, which I wasn't gaining in my um, school. And <clears throat> I, that to me was enough to get the confidence to um, push through and stick with it. And even to this day, I, I don't get tired of it. I don't like, Yield and need to move on. And if I ever do, um, I'd be interested to see what that could be just because there's so many ways to um, play with this medium. Yeah. Yeah. That almost, um, that story of you're like, okay, this is my last, my last thing I'm going to try. I'll try something else if I don't get in here. And then getting in to something that's very difficult. Um, that kind of like alignment reminds me of what you're saying about the art video, um, mm-hmm. like everything just coming together, like, you know, it's a sign and it, it just kind of feels yeah. like that was your sign to be like, yeah, I'm on the right track with, with doing tissue paper. And so, yeah, I love how your story is really an example of like sticking to, to your, what you believe in and, and what your expression is and what you're interested in. Um, yeah. So do you have advice to people who might find themselves in a similar spot like 
they are working in a medium or a style or a subject that's not being accepted or appreciated um, and like how do you know how do you know when maybe it is time to switch and maybe it is time to stick with something i'm gonna leave you with another granny franny nugget she says there's no one who can do the things you do the way you do them and she repeated that since I was little and there is a, you don't have to worry about going against any other artists if you don't get selected for the what x y or z it's because it's not for you it's for someone else you but you're definitely not going to get it if you don't apply I don't know how many times I've been rejected I don't know how many times I've signed up for something and I get there and I realize is this what I signed up for um and life will 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 give you a path and you take you you take it if you decide to get off early i like to call it uh, garage gps it will reroute you it might take you an extra long time or you might just says like wrong direction turn around make a u-turn you'll get all the signs and if you decide to keep going that way that's on you but the good part is it will all whenever you decide to follow the directions again they'll be there for you and i really live my life that way i don't regret things i don't feel like there are mistakes i feel like they're just opportunities to learn so when i was presented with this negative energy at grad school i just said okay well what can i do what else is possible <clears throat> and that's something my aunt repeated a lot too um what else is possible instead of i can't stand this or i'm gonna hurt this person or myself or i'm mad or whatever that isn't being productive and i do feel like everybody has intuition um whether you tune turn it up or turn it down is up to you um intuition is not the same as negative voices or you know fear-based behaviors or you know self-doubt or or that kind of negative mindset intuition is the tingle in your spine or the feeling that I should not go that way, I should go this way. Um, and I feel like for any artist that's kind of struggling for what they should make or what they should do, they need to be quiet and listen. And it will bubble up. And if you hit three roadblocks on the way to doing the thing you thought you should be doing, then that should be a sign that you're, that wasn't the way. The roadblocks are trying to say um, what else is possible in, in my philosophy. Um, and when the wind hits your back and you're like, oh, this is so easy, this is so great, this feels so good, even though it might not look like the way that you wanted it to look, that is also a sign that affirmation of the universe that you are headed in the right direction. And um, some of that surrounds faith and trust and when i speak about faith it's not from any kind of religious standpoint because i'm pretty open to any positive energy surrounding how you talk about spirituality but it's from a place of understanding your purpose in life on earth this go around or whatever you believe where you are right now are you living your authentic self are you um, have you forgiven everybody you need to forgive? Are you in a good headspace? Um, are you doing your life's mission? And if not, 
not that not to get mad at where your stopping point is or what's stopping you to ask what can I do to free myself or to feel or to make one step towards the goal um I think artists can be disillusioned and frustrated especially when funds are low and commissions got canceled and shows got postponed and all this other stuff that's going on you just that's when faith um takes in and you just say okay I know it's not the way that I thought it was going to look, but um, I'm going to embrace this and also constantly ask, what, what should I be doing? Show me what I should be doing. And oftentimes for me, when I sit down and write and think, um, that's when the whatever comes to the surface at that point in time, I know that that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of really uh, profound things in there. I love the what's possible and like artists just need to be quiet and listen because I think there is so much like mental deciding of what's going to land and like what it, what's going to, um, who is this going to please and all this stuff mm -hmm. rather than just like sinking into what's authentic for you and listening to the signs. I think that's um, very on point and I have also found to be very true. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So um, I have one last question for you, but before we get into that, um, always on the show, I do a semi rapid fire. Um, if you're open <laughs> to doing that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, I'm down. And they're all finished the sentence. Okay. So the first one is if someone really knew me, they would know. They would what? If someone really knew me, they would know. They would know I love to take baths. <laughs> Great. Love it. Uh, the next one is art is. Art is everything. Cool. Uh, the color of my soul is. The color of my soul. Well, what popped up is like purple and red, but I would say all the colors, the rainbow. Yeah. It's hard for artists to pick on that one. <laughs> <laughs> that is hard. Yeah. Sometimes people like immediately know, and then other times people are like, well, obviously all the colors. So. That's weird though. <laughs> I had two answers and I didn't even know I had two minds. So, okay. Yeah. Purple <laughs> and red. <laughs> purple, red, and the rainbow. And the rainbow. <laughs> um, and then the last one is I honor my art by. My grandmother. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I, I have to say that the way you continually honor your grandmother and tell her stories um, is really healing to, to listen to. So that's a real service to, to myself and everybody listening to. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, so the last question is, I would love to hear about your solo show, um, anything else you have coming up that you would like to talk about? I know things are really rocky with COVID, but if there's anything you'd like to share about it, I'd love to hear. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I have a solo exhibition coming up at Camerali, um, and they've been really instrumental at helping uh, facilitate the creation process. Like I said, I have kids and I need a babysitter or at least some kind of pause so that I could create what was supposed to be the show that opened in July, but everybody's July got transitioned into something else. Um, so now it's opening in September through February. It will also be available online. Um, one thing I love to do with my uh, 
artwork is invite the community in. And so um, we had to come with a strategic way of how to do a, kind of a remote tissue quilt making workshop because I wanted to, um, we were gonna do sessions in school and, and deal with the community in that way in person. But since we had to do social distancing, um, we decided to create art kits where people, I, I made an instructional video and invited the 100 people to co-create with me. And then they will send their um, sculptures to me and I'll add them to the larger exhibition. Um, it wasn't just regionally, it was um, open to anybody in the United States. So that was fun. Um, I haven't opened the packages yet. They're due to come back between the 14th and 21st. So we're gonna record opening those. And, and, and you know, one thing I did learn about energy during quarantine is when people are focused and now I realize why group meditation and group prayer is powerful you can pick up on the line even though you're not there with the person so every so even though our collective energy wasn't in the present physical we were definitely present um, through the act of doing the same thing at the same time and um, I think that I, I noticed that happening when the first um, DJ Nice Club Quarantine Instagram stories were coming out when he was doing his live videos. And there's like 5,000, 10,000, 50,000 people all listening to the same crappy audio, but love that jam. Yeah. And then a bunch of DJs kind of branched out from there and started creating these communities where we're all singing along. And you could literally feel it. You were, if you were tuned in, you were in the middle of it. And that was, that was powerful for me because in a time when you can feel so, so separated, um, that's really what we needed. So um, that exhibition will be up and there'll also be an online option for people to see and experience. And I think we might do the quilt again, um, halfway through the exhibition where I do another call for art. So if you follow my art Instagram, which is just my name, Maya Freeman, um, you should be able to have an opportunity to then anybody listening can also join in on the second wave and and put on your credit that you were in an exhibition as well at camera so that's for Love the art that. tidbit yeah great very very exciting um so your instagram is at maya freelon and your website's the same right mayafreelon.com right. yep Great. Um, well, we're going to go ahead and close the interview here, but stay on for a second because I want okay. to thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. I told you that that was going to be a powerful one. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, definitely go check out her art on fire video. If you still haven't done that by this point in the episode, um, you can check out her work like we mentioned. Um, and those will all be linked up in the show notes. As for the Art and Magic podcast, please, please, please leave us a rating and or a review. Um, the reviews really mean a lot to me, and it is how we can get this show out to other aspiring artists just like yourself. Um, you can also come follow us on Instagram at Art and Magic Podcast, which is our new dedicated Instagram podcast page. And if you want to check out myself and my art and what I'm up to, you can always come give a shout out at Devin Walls art. So I believe that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for being here as always. I'm sending you lots of love and tons of magic until next time. <laughs>